This morning we're going to step outside of our normal normal course of study in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 through 7 this morning. So you can begin to make your way there. If you don't have a copy of God's word, you can find one in the back of the pew in front of you. If you'd like to, we'd love for you to take that home with you. If you're not familiar with how to use the Bible, you're going to find a table of contents at the front of that, and it'll let you know where you can find the book of 2 Corinthians. The big numbers are going to be chapters, the small numbers are going to be verses. So I want to do something a little bit different today than what we normally do. It's just kind of working through a text, and, and really this is just kind of a in some sense, just kind of a pastoral reflection, which is good for us in this time. It says, I reflected and just kind of sought the face of God and, and, and began to reflect and ask the question of, what would you have us to know? Where would you have us to be? And what would you have us to think in this time of, of just acute, tragic suffering? In some sense, like, where where are you in this and where should we be in response to who you are? I landed on this passage and I hope it is helpful for you as it has been helpful for me. And so I'm going to read three through seven and then we're just going to spend some time talking about a couple of these verses and just ask that God would, would do a work in our hearts as he brings comfort near to those who are so desperately in need. Would you join with me as we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. To experience suffering... It's this close match and close tie to experiencing love, right? So as we love our families, I love my wife and, and my kids, my extended family, and, and, and almost all of us in this room, like you have somebody that you love, and, and, and hopefully you have people that love you as well. And where we encounter suffering and where we encounter sorrow most frequently is where there is some fracture, there is some end to that relationship, either through death or through separation. And we experience suffering because there is this absence of the love that we formerly received coming from this person, flowing from this relationship. So the Apostle Paul writes to a, a group there in Corinth who has just a whole host of issues but he addresses something that's so incredibly direct to the human condition. It's just this experience of sorrow. If you live long enough, and sadly for some of us, sorrow hits us early in life, but if you live long enough and you have relationships that are sufficiently deep, you will experience sorrow. Christian and non-Christian alike, you will experience sorrow. 
But the word of God provides for us a way of comfort in the midst of sorrow. It's really interesting that Paul really begins in verses 3 and 4 with with what is absolutely fundamentally important. You see, he begins in verses 3 and 4, and he wants us to make sure that we know who God is. If you have some abstract sense of who God is, if you say that, man, he is is high and mighty, he's majestic, he's far and removed from me, then you have this God who can't be close to you in the midst of sorrow. And so you feel like in the midst of sorrow, if this is your view, if this is your perspective on God, that he is not concerned, that he is not involved in the midst of the difficulties of this life. So Paul moves directly to address this. And look at what he writes. He says, blessed be. In essence, he, he calls, he invites us to praise God. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so right there off the bat, Paul introduces to us the conduit whereby we come into relationship with God the Father. See, as Christians, we believe that we don't have relationship with the God the Father through some uh, intermediary, and so your relationship with God doesn't flow through me. Your relationship with God flows through Jesus. This is so incredibly important because our relationship with God isn't tenuous. It's, it's, It's not uncertain. We have the certainty of a sure and steadfast relationship with God through the faithful work of his son Jesus who offered up himself on a cross so that we might be forgiven and being forgiven, have relationship with the Father. But look at what he goes on to say about this Father. Paul is not content to leave the Father in abstraction. He's not content to leave the Father remote and distant. He's not content to leave the Father merely a notion, some abstract thing that we can't draw close to. He wants to familiarize us with the Father and give us an intimate connection to the Father. So he says he is the Father of mercies. It's a fantastic thing. And I have a hard time wrapping my mind around this, that the God of the universe, the God who spoke in all of creation, jumped into existence. The God who knew me in, in, in the inmost regions of my mom when he was forming and creating me. This God, this God who has no need, this God who lacks nothing, this God is spoken of as the Father of mercy. This mercy he talks about is what it looks like to be sympathetic to someone in need. What it looks like to be moved by someone's hurt. It looks like what it looks like to come close to somebody whose heart is breaking and allow your heart to break for their sorrow. That's what a true friend looks like, isn't it? You encounter loss, you encounter suffering. You lose a spouse, a child, a sibling, a friend. If somebody were to come close to you and say, look, I, I heard that so-and-so died, that really blows. That's life. You want to grab lunch? You begin to think, man, what kind of jerk are you? What kind of special stupid are you that you come close to me in the midst of my heartache, in the midst of this deep sorrow, and act like it just doesn't matter? I can tell you today that if you think God is unmoved in the midst of our sorrow, then you fundamentally misunderstand who he is. God's heart breaks for his children. Scripture tells us time and again that he is near to the brokenhearted and he is the fountainhead from where all mercy flows. So he goes on, he says, and he is the God of all comfort. We experience comfort in a myriad of different ways. 
some of us experience comfort and it is small and it is passing comfort, but some of us experience comfort just through being alone. You experience something acute and difficult and really what you want to do is be left alone. You don't want to be talked to. You don't want to be told that things are going to be better. You don't want to be told that things are all right. You don't want to hear that time and distance heals all wounds. What you want for comfort is everybody to shut up and leave you alone. And if we impart that to God, then you fundamentally miss him and you misunderstand who God is. He is not a God who leaves us alone in our sorrow, but he's a God who draws near to us in the midst of this sorrow. See, God doesn't provide comfort the way that the world does. In almost every tragic situation, one of the things you'll know is people tend to flock to families or individuals in need. But all of our sorrow has a shelf life. It has a time where people are bought in and invested in it, but then it reaches the expiration date and they draw back and they remove themselves from our lives. This happens for a number of different reasons. It happens because as people, we only have so much ability to expend ourselves for others. It happens because we too in our lives have difficulties. We too in our lives have pressing needs that we have to turn our attentions to. Sadly, it happens in, lives, in our lives because there are people who are merely drawn to tragedy and drawn to the suffering of others and they go from one family to the next, to the next, to the next. But this phenomenon we experience, the difficulty we experience when we look up and people are no longer there and they're no longer calling and they're, and we're ready to talk about how we are, and they're no longer asking. Our God doesn't have this same deficiency. Our God doesn't have this same shortcoming. In Psalm 103, and verses 13 and 14, we read it says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. It's like a father who sees his child in need, who sees his child fall down, who sees his child hurt. So too, God draws near to those who need his presence. Look at how he adds to this. He says, for he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. You have this fantastic idea that the creator God of all the universe, who took from the dust, who made us, and who knows that we are weak, frail, and fragile. He knows our hearts are hurting. He knows that we are broken. The text tells us he knows us, he comes near to us, and he breaks for us. He's the God of all comfort. All the failing, fleeting comforts of this world find themselves looking pathetic and weak compared to the inexhaustible comfort that flows from God the Father. Look at what Paul does next in verse 4. Speaking of this God, he personifies him. The ESV renders it and says, that it is this God who comforts us in all our affliction. But what he really means, what he's really describing, is, and the way he writes it, he says, he is the one who comforts. How great is that? Man, what a joy and, and blessing that is that he is in himself the very embodiment of comfort. 
that this name here ascribed to him gives us an understanding of where we might go to in the midst of difficulty. That this God, according to Psalm 34, 18, is near to the brokenhearted, that he saves the one who's crushed in spirit. This is who God is. He invites you to know him. He invites you to experience his comfort. He invites you to draw close to the, the healing that only he can bring. But he does something amazing here. Paul connects um, this understanding of who God is in some sense to our ability to function with him. He says, this God who comforts all us all in our affliction, why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Did you notice what he does there? There's this phenomenal handoff between knowing who God is and knowing how his church functions knowing how his body functions. It is through knowing him, knowing the God of all comfort, knowing the God of all mercies, knowing where his heart is and how he flows that we begin to find and begin to observe how the body then acts, how the body then responds to him. You see, we take our lead from an understanding of who God is. We take our lead from an understanding of of seeing his heart and being fundamentally impressed by it. He says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. When you think about the various traumas that you've gone through in life, think about it. You've had the miscarriage of a child. You've had the loss of a sibling. You've had the loss of a spouse. Think about the difficulties you've gone through. All of us have them, right? And all of us have been near to people who have experienced acute suffering. I'm not talking about just your favorite TV show being canceled, getting bad or distressing news, but but things that are fundamentally life-altering and life-shifting, these points of sorrow that intersect us with seemingly mercilessly. And when we encounter those, and we journey through those, and we arrive on the far side of those, And we would say that in some sense, man, we are past that. We are through that. Recognizing, of course, that grief comes in terribly predictive cycles, right? It comes on the birthdays of our dearly departed loved ones. It comes on anniversaries. It comes at Christmas. For some of us today, tragically, it comes on Mother's Day. But when we've made it through this, and we have this back-leaning testimony where we can look and see all the various ways that God has raised up people to support us. When we look and we can see all the various ways that he has spoken to our heart and ministered to our heart, all those things aren't lost. All those things, according to this, are purposed for the benefit of others. When you, not if, but friend, when you go through profound difficulties, God is preparing you to walk with someone else. This is hard to hear in the midst of suffering. It's hard in some sense for somebody to walk into the hotel room of your crisis or the hospital room of your crisis and say to you, all this is gonna be okay because you have somewhere else to go. You have someone else to minister to. And it's only on the far side of our grief, it's only on the far side of our difficulty that we can begin to be helpful to others. 
Because in the midst of grief, in the midst of sorrow, it can be, and oftentimes is, all-consuming. But if today where you sit, you find yourself on the far side of affliction, the far side of suffering, I don't mean to suggest that you're no longer sad, but what I mean to say is you no longer find yourself in the stronghold of this acute difficulty and struggle. If this is where you are, then God has a plan and purpose for you to be intimately involved and knit to those who are currently experiencing suffering. This is what it is to be a family. This is what it is to suffer. That when you lose a spouse, someone else who's lost a spouse sidles up beside you. And they can say with certainty and conviction, I know what you're going through. I know know what it was like for you to wake up this morning and he wasn't there beside you in the bed. You know what, I, I know what it was like to go to sleep last night, to be brushing your teeth, to look over, to have the conversation that you've had for the last 30, 40, 50 years. And no one responds. I know what it's like when Christmas comes along and, and everybody around you is buying a gift and is overjoyed and, and you've got no one to buy one for and no one to buy one for. I remember the birthdays, Father's Days, the Mother's Days, the special events, the stupid stuff we'd watch on TV and laugh at. I know what it is to suffer loss. I know what it is to experience. Don't let the suffering of your life be wasted. But allow God to use the suffering, the disappointment, and the sorrow of your life to bring others closer to Him, showing them the comfort that He can be. That is His plan, that is His purpose for your sorrow. That is how you can be used mightily in the lives of those that are currently suffering. Paul gives us a picture of what it looks like to grieve for others, to really struggle with them. Paul describing his own, I guess, pressures in some sense of what it looks like to write to this church in Corinth that he had planned it. Verse 28 of chapter 11, he wrote and says, Apart from all the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And he asks this question. He says, Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Some of what it looks like to be a church, not just to be a loose gathering of people that come on Sunday mornings with bright and and shiny smiles strapped onto their faces, But what it looks like to be a church, what it looks like to be the body of Christ is to suffer alongside one another. I mean, it should break our hearts when we hear of one of our other church members to suffer. We should be broken with them. Their pain is our pain. And that's something you cannot 
get if you remain remote and distant. And we encounter a number of different difficulties here, okay? Some of us have been profoundly wounded in the midst of suffering, in the absence of love in the churches we've been involved in. And maybe some of you have experienced that even here. I'm so sorry if that's your experience. I'm sorry that if I've been a part or we as a church have been a part of disappointing you in the midst of life's difficulties. I think the pattern that Scripture gives us and and, and why it is so incredibly important not to just kind of be a person on the periphery, just kind of out there on the fringes, kind of see your face and can recognize you but don't know who in the world you are. So glad to see you. Why it's so important to move from that person to be being intimately involved is because something happens, right? So you're known. People know you. One of the reasons that many of us don't get calls, don't get flowers, don't receive the consolation and the comfort of other people in church is quite simply because, man, we have no idea who you are. practical nature of of having a church of this size and greater means that if you're not making an active effort to be involved and invested, we will not know you. You will be sad and disappointed. And that's not what we would want. Can't merely come in and sit in a pew on a Sunday and, and hope that people will know you and know what's going on in your life. Man, I wish it could work that way. I wish the person sitting in the back, I could be like, 57, size 11 shoe. Wheaties for breakfast with sugar on top. Wasted. I don't, I don't have that ability. For a while I thought Justin did, but he doesn't. We're constantly going to disappoint you. We're constantly going to be broken for you. And I hope that you get involved. Get invested. You don't find like so many that it is so easy to lead. But that you would be a person of commitment and a person who commits so that we could in turn commit to you. One of the things that we tell people every time they join the church is we begin with an apology and just, we're so sorry at some point we're going to disappoint you. And you're not going to feel like telling us that we've disappointed you, so can we just go on record right now of having apologized so that at some point when we disappoint you or hurt you, we've already beat it with an apology, and then you can come to us and we can apologize in person. And for the first few times we said this, it, you know, it's kind of laughable. And, and then we started really disappointing people. We recognized the importance of getting ahead of it. Church represents, according to the way God has created it, the best opportunity for being personally ministered to because it formally unites you to others in being the body of Christ. This isn't something we've invented. We find this in Scripture And look at what this command he calls us to. He says, so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, you have to be known, you have to be vulnerable, and you have to be willing to forgive. But look at the comfort that he says we extend in the midst of these things. 
It's, it's not some side, arm, pat, hug, it'll be okay, it'll get better, we'll make it through this somehow. The comfort that we provide, according to what he says here, is the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This is what we extend in the midst of comforting people. This is what we give to them. This is how we provide for them. It's this supernatural comfort that God has given to us. We can give it to others. God leads us mercifully through the difficulties of life, through the losses of our spouses, through the loss of our children, our siblings, through the valleys of life. He leads us through these in terrific comfort so that we can turn around and use that same comfort for others. Look at what verse 5 says. He says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Paul enters into this really deep understanding of, of what it looks like to share in Christ's sufferings. In the book of Colossians, in the book of Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up whatever is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. You see, Paul had this understanding that any time he went through pronounced difficulties, that any time he suffered, that somebody else was benefiting from it. And when he looks at it and begins to think of this kind of theology of the church and kind of what it is or or how to understand and how to think about the church in terms of how it relates to God, he saw that we have this incredible web of interconnectedness. That when I suffer, somebody comes up alongside me and they comfort me. And then when they suffer, I can move alongside and comfort them. We recognize that in the sacrifice of Jesus that we are united to God, but when the church is becoming his body, it becomes his body through affliction and difficulty. In some sense, this is because of the uniting element of suffering. If you go through something hard with someone, it bonds you in friendship. It's easy, right? It's easy to be a friend when things are going well. It's easy to be around people when they're enjoyable. But the true measure of what it looks like to be a friend and the true measure, I think, of what God calls us to is a willingness to suffer alongside others. To open up your heart. To let them peer in and see what it was like for you to go through suffering. And this is difficult. I mean, I haven't met very many people who like opening their hearts and just reliving all the difficult things that God has brought them through, all the sorrowful things he's led them through. But this is what it is to be a family together. To love others well enough that you're willing to open up your sorrow to relive it so you might be a comfort to them. Paul says... 
here as we kind of close, and I just want us to think about this, so that through Christ, we may share abundantly in comfort. You get into John chapter 15, close to the end, and we recognize that to be a Christian is to suffer. There's just no way around it. It's no your best life now, empty, you know, statements that find us in the midst of our suffering and wondering where in the world God is. But John records that Jesus' words in John 15, 20, that if they persecute me, they'll persecute you as well. So the closer we get to Jesus, the more acute we can expect our sufferings to be. And we're drawn into him in that. But there's also this amazing hope and promise that we find in John 14. John 14, verses 15 through 17. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask in the Father, and he will give you another helper. Some translations will say a comforter. And he will be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. The primary conduit of comfort available for the Christian is the Holy Spirit, alive and residing with inside you. And so when we begin to think, what can I possibly say? What can I possibly do to be a comfort for the people around me who are suffering? Me. The Holy Spirit longs to comfort those in need. The Holy Spirit longs to bring hope, peace, and healing, longing for those longing and languishing in suffering. It requires your proximity. Requires simply that you be there. That you allow an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to lead you to have a thing to say or lead you to have a thing not to say in that moment. But it absolutely requires your proximity. If you want to comfort someone, you need to be there. If you want to comfort someone, you need to fundamentally realize that as a Christian, the single greatest power you have for providing comfort isn't yours, but it flows through the Holy Spirit to the other person. So comfort is a work of God through you, the Holy Spirit in you, speaking to the Holy Spirit in them, providing them comfort. You need to be available, you need to be close, you need to be willing to let the Holy Spirit speak. Just as a point of practicality, if we're going to comfort people in need, expect grief to lead people to make odd decisions. Expect grief to lead people to make odd decisions. They're going to say things that are going to hurt your feelings. They're going to do things that are going to shock you. But man, if you love them, if you care for them, recognize that you are there for them, not them. Jesus was a man close to suffering, close to sorrow. 
that Jesus has spoken of in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah spoke of him in such a way that we recognize that his life would be profoundly touched by sorrow. Isaiah 53 and verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. He says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is so incredibly close to the brokenhearted. To those at this moment of sorrow. Man, he's close to us today. He stands ready to bind up the broken heart. Jesus' words in Matthew 11 are this closing idea that we'll finish with. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus speaks and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for yourself. And if you are overcome today, if you are burdened today, if you are dealing with sorrow today, Jesus stands ready. He invites you to know him. He invites you to have your sins forgiven. And he invites you to receive comfort. He tells us that his yoke is is easy, and his burden is light. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that we are able to be comforted by you, that we are able to be made whole, that our sorrow does not overcome you, that it is not a burden to you. And so again, I pray for those in this room who are dealing with sorrow and struggles. That in you they would find comfort and in you they would find peace. Father, I pray for us who have made it to the far side of sorrow and we're really wrestling with whether or not we want to open ourselves up to relive the difficulties that we've gone through so that we might be a help and a comfort to those currently overcome with sorrow. God, would you help us to be close to the brokenhearted? Would you help us to remember how wonderful it was to have somebody to walk alongside of us? Would you grow us in compassion and mercy? Father, we thank you for your word. God, I'm so thankful that you give to us your Holy Spirit to guide and direct us in all things. And we pray that he would be working to provide comfort for those in the midst of sorrow. 
submit these things to you in your son Jesus' name. Amen.